0: This, this season, as that pass intercepted, Jammerdeck leaving through traffic, gets the shot away, and it is in for Louis Jammerdeck. Right there, this is what happens. I'm bouncing. Bob here comes Mark, sends it to one more. All profits Something happened in Grand Forks this past weekend, and I want the world. Well, I won't say the world because the world doesn't listen to this, but I want as many people as possible to know about what took place. And when tragedy strikes, I want to talk about it. It kind of goes back to what what I would talk about a month, a couple months ago, where there was this thing that happened. And I don't want to go back into it, and it it just it wasn't good. And I want to talk about it, and I want to use this as a platform to talk about things that happen, mainly sports, but if something else happens, I would like to talk about it because I feel like it's part of my job, even though I choose to do this, it's my job as a hopefully future journalist to talk about these things and to report accurately on what's happening and on what's taking place. So there was something local that happened Grand Forks over the weekend in North Dakota. And, and I feel like it's good to let more people know about this. Because sometimes people only pay attention to or care about the things that happen in their own backyard. And I, I understand that. And I'm guilty of it too, in, in many ways, right? If I hear something about Wyoming in Michigan, it's like, well, why should I care? But I think now that I've witnessed certain things over the years, I realize how much things are interconnected, right? I realize how much things in, for example, the Ukraine affect what happens in America. And by no means am I comparing what happened in Grand Forks over the weekend to what's happening in Ukraine and what Russia is doing. So, and, and you'll understand why I'm not comparing it in a minute. And even the people in Grand Forks are probably like, wait a minute. What happened this weekend? What did I miss? I'm probably starting to freak you guys out. And and that's kind of the idea. Because there was personal stakes in what happened. I had a personal stake in what took place. Right? I needed what took place in Grand Forks to happen because of events that had taken place in previous months. Right? There was a severe, a severe case of animal abuse this weekend in grand forks north dakota it was it was awful it is something that if it's something that i wouldn't condone 99.99% of the time because it's just brutal what happened animal abuse is one of the worst most heinous things that anyone can do and there are a lot of bad things that happened out there a lot of bad things that happen out on this earth. People get beat up. People get shot. Animals get locked in cages. Terrible things happen. And something terrible happened to a group of animals in Grand Forks this weekend. Terrible. They were embarrassed. They were beaten. They were brutalized. They were manhandled. And they left Grand Forks, never wanting to come back. Never wanting to come back. And I wouldn't want to come back to Grand Forks if I were them. There were a lonely group of Broncos that came into town this weekend. A group of Broncos. 20 to 25 Broncos decided that they were going to come to Grand Forks this weekend and understand North Dakota. They were going to come to my town. To our town. And they were going to explore. And they were going to try and test us. They were going to try and beat us. And they came to our town, this group of Broncos. They made the trek from Kalama Shit Michigan. And they went all the way up here. And they decided that they were going to act like it was their home ice. They decided that they were going to act like they belonged. They decided that they were going to act like they had any shot against us. That they belonged on the same ice as us. But they quickly realized after Friday, and especially after Saturday, they had no business here. They had no business. And they shouldn't have gotten off the plane. They shouldn't have gotten on the plane in Battle Creek, Kalamazoo, Chicago, wherever they got on that plane. They quickly realized that getting onto that plane and coming to our town The town of the Fighting Sioux, they realized that they should have never been here. That they should have stayed in their cute little town with their cute little Lawsonites and their Lawson lunatics. And they should have stayed in that off-brand, great-value barn. They should have stayed there. And they shouldn't have come to town. And they regretted coming to town. Because they got embarrassed. They got beaten. Animal abuse. Is an awful thing. And it happened to a group of Broncos this weekend. It did. And it's something that, is it brutal? Yes. Do you want to see it happen? Not necessarily. Not if you're a Bronco. Broncos don't like seeing other Broncos get manhandled the way you do. But, where the discussion gets complicated, where things get weird, When a group of Broncos comes and gets slaughtered like that, without mercy, the Sioux got to eat. We got to have our food. Food. Broncos were food this weekend. Broncos were on the menu. We were out of bison. Bronco were on the menu this weekend. And thankfully, a group of them hopped off a plane. They got right off on a plane in Grand Forks International Airport, or Fargo, I don't know where they landed, hopefully Grand Forks. They got off a plane in Grand Forks, and on a day where there were no bison to eat, because the bison ate us in basketball, but we won't get into that, there were no bison on the menu. So, naturally, as the hunters we are, we needed to find food in a different manner. And thankfully, as I said, there were a group of Broncos getting off a plane. So we ate them because we were hungry, because we needed food, and we needed nourishment, and we needed sustenance. And it came in the form of dismantling a second-rate hockey team. It did. It did. Oh, top 10. Yeah, are you kidding me? Michigan was scared to play these guys? Seriously? Jeez, that's crazy. That's crazy to me, honestly way we beat them. And I needed it because of how we got handled and lost. And I had to deal with all of this. Oh, Western Michigan. Prime of the NCHC. Oh, Western Michigan. Frozen Four team this year. Oh, Western Michigan this. Oh, Western Michigan that. You play in Kalamazoo. <laughs> what don't you get about the fact that you're in Kalamazoo, Michigan? <laughs> what don't you get? What don't you get? Kalamazoo, I refuse to believe that Kalamazoo, Michigan can produce any product, anything greater, athletic-wise, sport-wise, in the MAC conference, except for hockey, you're in the NCHC, congratulations, I refuse to believe that Western Michigan can produce anything beyond mediocre, athletic-wise, even if it's hockey, even if it's hockey, even if hockey, historically, is your best sport. Even if hockey brings out the biggest audiences in Kalamazoo. Even if hockey does all these things for Western Michigan advertising. That logo sure as hell doesn't do anything for your advertising. I'll say that. But hockey is your big thing. It is. And you realize why you'll never get over the hump. Because we haven't gotten over the hump in five years. Six years now. And you came to town in maybe your biggest series of the weekend. Biggest series of the weekend. Yeah, it was your only series of the weekend. Your biggest series of the year. You came and you lost. You lost. swept Cleanly. Friday was closer, but Saturday, no business. No business being on the ice Saturday. None. Zero. You had no reason to show up on that ice. And I told the guys in the tunnel in my Michigan State jersey after beating Purdue Saturday. I said, why'd you guys come back? They looked at me, gave me the bird, told me, you know, F you. It's like, all right, whatever. Why'd you come back though? You don't have any business being here right now. You should leave. You should get the early flight back to your petty town and you should stay there. And you should stay there. You shouldn't come back. And if you do come back, it's because we let you. It's because we allow you to come into our ice and our town into our state even really. Because there isn't a time where I feel like Western Michigan deserves to be in the national conversation for anything, for anything, because you are indeed in Kalamazoo, Michigan, one of the worst places ever. Seriously, one of the worst places ever. I know. I toured there. I've been to Kalamazoo. I've seen the aviation program. I've seen the engineering. I've seen campus. Campus isn't bad. But the thing is, is as soon as Western Michigan came back on that ice Saturday, I knew it was going to be a rout. You score twice on yourselves, guys. You score twice on yourselves in the first period. Then it became a little bit of a comeback. Oh, you got a goal. Oh, look, it's 4-2. to two, two goal deficit. Six minutes left in the game, seven minutes left. Oh no, what's gonna happen? Are they gonna make a comeback and make it look more respectable? No. No, because we scored again. And then your guy got the five minute major on a dirty play, on a dirty hit up against the boards. Five minutes, gone from the game, given the business as he's going in the tunnel. And then his replacement to serve his five minute major in the box comes in. And naturally, as you would expect, The North Dakota fans were not very pleased with your teammate's actions because it was dirty because the game was already over. There was less than five minutes left in the game. Your guy was going to spend the rest of that game in the penalty box. He wasn't going to touch that ice again and he didn't deserve to because of the actions of his teammate because of your teammate. So now as we give the business to the man in the penalty box. As me, my friends, people across the tunnel looking across into the penalty box, gave your guy the business. He has the audacity to tell us, come in, come into the box, come here, come here, get in the box. No, no, we don't need to be in the box. Because we aren't the guy that smashed the North Dakota player into the boards that got the five-minute major. We aren't the man's teammate that did that. We aren't the hotheads down three goals in the third period on the verge of getting swept in a top seven series. We aren't the guys acting like toddlers when this happens. We have a standard of excellence. You don't. That's why you lost. That's why you got swept in the biggest moment. Because you don't expect greatness. Because nothing in Kalamazoo will ever be great. It never will. You'll have a good campus. You'll have good education. You'll have good instructors. You'll have a good hockey team. But great? Greatness and Kalamazoo don't mix. They don't mix. That's why in the biggest series, in the biggest moment, in a season where you have frozen for expectations, that's why you lost there. Because you aren't great. Because you aren't phenomenal. Because you aren't professional. Because you're good. You're not as good as us. And that showed. Because there were seeding implications for the conference. There were poll implications for the Nationals. Everything was there. Everything was at stake. You had to come to our place. When we were playing our best hockey and you lost, not only did you lose, you got swept, you got embarrassed, and you scored twice on yourself. And one of your players got a five-minute major with three minutes left in the game. Three-minute major? Five-minute major with three minutes left in the game. How unprofessional is that? How childish is that? That shouldn't happen, but it does. Because you're Western. Because you're just not good. Because you're just not relevant. Oh, you're in North Dakota. North Dakota's not relevant. Uh, Have you seen the collegiate hockey rankings over the last, I don't know, six years? Have you seen that we're nationally ranked every year in the one thing that matters out here? Hockey. You notice that, right? We don't seek... To be noticed in things like football and basketball thank god but you do you seek all of it basketball six wins this season same as us you might have seven who cares we're both terrible football decent football team any recognition no our football team mediocre six and six whatever but hockey are you claim to have your claim to fame and so do we Because we actually have stats and championships to back it up. We own you. We own you. So I had to deal with all the Western Michigan people. Oh, good luck. We swept you at our place. We'll do the same thing in your place. We'll split you guys. You're not that good. Whatever. We're better. We'll make the Frozen Four. You won't. You'll lose the Duluth again. To all of you smart people that thought you had all the answers. Really, that thought you had all the answers. Eat it. Eat it. Because you were the Kings. You were the surprise team. You were the top of the NCHC. You were the Cinderella team that everybody wanted to win. You were the hero. And the hero fell. Because the hero had no business fighting who he was going to fight against. And I might take heat for using the old mascot of our school. Who cares? You lost. Brutally the abuse that you took was well-deserved because of the actions of your teammate. Maybe it wasn't all justified at the end. But once your guy had that five-minute major ramming our guy into the boards, and the way he presented himself as he walked into the tunnel in the Ralph Engelstad Arena, as your teammate, Went into the penalty box to serve that guy's penalty. To serve the penalty that his numbskull teammate did. The way he presented himself in the penalty box. Presented himself as a clown. Telling the fans to come into the box with him. So he can teach us a lesson. Yeah? What lesson are you going to teach, man? What lesson are you going to teach? Seriously. You think you're going to be... Congratulations. Yeah, you've seen it all. You're from Rochester Hills. Really? Really? I, I don't even know. Right. I just know there's a guy from Rochester on the team. Whatever. Rochester, Milford, whatever. Ann Arbor. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you could teach us a lot about how tough it is in the streets, huh? Show show some of that Rochester Hills toughness. Bloomfield Hills toughness. Jeez, man. It's wild. Wild stuff out of Western Michigan this weekend. Wild stuff. But, as all good things do, the game came to an end. The game came to an end. Everyone was fired up. North Dakota hockey got the win it deserved, the sweep it deserved, and now the recognition it'll deserve. Oh, yeah, all that, by the way, kudos to Western Michigan. I have a lot of friends at Western Michigan. Good game, guys. Good series. It's all it's all fun and games, boys. It's all fun and games. Always has fun. It's the beauty of sports. It can be fun in games, can't it? But seriously, I mean, come on, guys. All the stuff I had to take. Oh, Western this. Oh, Western that. Jeez, you guys really thought you were all that. But I owed it. I owed it to you guys after getting swept. I owed it to you guys after getting swept in Lawson in front of your stupid little barn, your stupid little Lawson lunatic student section. I deserved what I got. When we got swept at your place and you're going to get what you deserve for getting swept by us at our place. But it's all fun and games. I'll see you guys for dinner in two weeks when I come back into town. But the next thing that I want to do is, is what I said I was going to do last week. The coaching stuff. And the next thing that I want to do with this coaching stuff is basically I'm going to do one division. And it's going to be the division that resonates with me most and the definition of what I would consider resonating most would be what is going to peak interest in the listeners. What is going to gain the most interest by the loyal viewers, right? So how I'm going to do this is I'm going to start in the NFC North and we're just going to do NFC North. Today. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it bit by bit because if you do all of it at once, it's just going to be just It's just going to feel like it goes on and on and on and on so i want to do i'm going to do a little part of each show over the next however many weeks i decide to do this i'm going to go and do one division at a time and if there are divisions with less coaching stuff than others i'll just do i'll combine the divisions right but for now i'm just going to start with what resonates with me most what impacts me the closest and what's going to impact the listeners most and so, obviously, most of you probably know where I'm going to go with this. I'm going to go with the NFC North. I'm going to go with the Bears and the Vikings. Because the Bears and the Vikings demolished everything. Truly, they demolished everything. They tore it all down. It's brand new. It's a brand new look Bears, and it's a brand new look Vikings. More so, I mean, I, honestly, I they, they they got rid of everybody. Both of them did. So, it's, it's kind of just, just brand new everything. It's like... It's like you just get a brand new house. You keep the family, but it's a brand new house. It's still the Vikings. It's still your family of happy Vikings. Still your family of happy bears. But it's a brand new house. There's a brand new landlord. So I, whatever. You kind of get what I'm saying with that. But, and also the Lions too, because this is the division of the Lions. This is the division that the Lions are going to win next season. So I feel that I can relate to Viking fans, feel like I can relate to Lion fans, and I can relate to Bear fans and Packer fans. It only matters if Aaron Rodgers is gone. So we're going to start with the Bears, then we're going to do the Vikings, and then we're going to get into watching and writing for North Dakota basketball, interviewing coaches and players, by the way, a little bit of a... A little bit of a cool little note there. I'm kind of, I'm leveling up in society, truly. But back to the Bears. The Bears tore everything down, as did the Vikings. But specifically with the Bears, the two main hires, new head coach, Matt Eberflus, and new general manager, Ryan Poles. So, here's the thing with Ryan Poles. I like this hire. I really do. And he has... It's going to be a good test, actually. It's going to be a very good look on what this guy wants to do. You're going to get a good look early as Bears fans because he's got $27.5 million in cap space. However, the cap space that he does have does not cover most of of the roster. So basically, okay, I'm going to try and explain this. The best way that I can. $27.5 million in cap space for the Bears is 11 in the league. But it only covers about four-fifths of the team. So you still have to pay another fifth of your team. And then you have to add on free agents. And you have to decide who you're going to sign, who you're going to re-sign, and who you're going to cut and just let be You know, the cap casualty as they call it, right? So Ryan Poles is still going to have $20 million, give or take, to work with. So it, what does Ryan Poles want to do with that $20 million? Who is he going to sign? Who is he going to prioritize re-signing? Who is he going to look at in free agency? There are a lot of different things that Ryan Poles can do with this, with this money, and it's almost more intriguing than what Quasi can do in Minnesota. Because Quasi inherited just cap, cap flames. Quasi and poor Minnesota are in, they're in big trouble with the salary cap. And we'll get into that later. So I guess it'll be, it'll be a little bit bigger of a test, obviously, for Quasi. But it's also gonna be an interesting thing with polls to see what, what polls is actually gonna do. Who's he gonna look at? Is he going to be conservative with how he spends? And is he going to let it roll over into not next season, but the season after and make more prioritizations there when Chicago's actually ready to win? Or is Ryan Polis going to try and go more all in this season and truly believe that Fields is the guy and go from there and see and just see what they win? I think that would be an incredibly dangerous thing to pursue, right? But it's going to be very interesting to see How Ryan Poles reacts to ever to all all the freedom that he has truly because Kwesi is Kwesi has a little bit limited freedom just based on cap space and how much money that Kwesi has to spend, but Ryan Poles has Ryan Poles can do a lot of stuff with twenty million and it's not forty million dollars right it's not top five cap space in the league, but twenty million bucks can bring a good amount of talent and it can re-sign a lot of talent too. So is he is Ryan Poles going to prioritize? Cutting players and getting more cap space, even though is Ryan Poles going to do his best to eliminate the dead cap or is he going to sign more players? It's a very, it's a very interesting thing with what Ryan Poles can do. So he came from Kansas City. He spent a decade in Kansas City. He was most recently the executive director of player personnel. He was a college scout for the Chiefs, essentially. And according, obviously, cause the Bears want to hype him up. He was firsthand responsible in drafting Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, right? So, you know, he was part of that staff that looked at Mahomes, that looked at Travis Kelsey, right? And another thing that I like about Ryan Poles is he's young. He's 36 years old. This is a young general manager that knows how the game is evolving that understands what football looks like now and can see it and imagine it evolving as opposed to a general manager that just inherited everything, that was born into it and saw it in the 70s, saw it in the 80s. No, Chicago needs somebody that can look beyond, that can look into the future. So as much as it hurts, I like the Ryan Poles hire. And Poles was another guy that was getting looked at by Minnesota. And so that's a little bit of a that's a little bit of a beef too because obviously Chicago and Minnesota don't like each other very much. And now Chicago gets the guy that Minnesota wanted. So we'll see. And now Minnesota has Quasey, which I think is another good hire. So it's going to be very interesting just to see. Cuz I think Chicago and Minnesota are going to both be terrible. But who gets better first? Who gets better quickest? Who made the right hire? I think that's going to be it's going to be more than just Bears versus Vikings, I think it's going to be who gets back quickest and who's most poised to do it because Chicago has the young quarterback. Chicago hopefully has their franchise quarterback. Now there's been the doubt with fields, but Chicago fans are really hoping that they have their franchise quarterback. And I think obviously Chicago has a better chance of having him now than Minnesota does because Kirk Cousins won't be, Kirk Cousins won't be the guy. And I don't want to hear about the Cousins statistics and how good he did, how little interceptions he threw. Minnesota won eight games. Part of that is on Kirk Cousins. It's the same thing with Stafford. Stafford is the leader, the quarterback. How many games you win is partly, in part, to Stafford. Stafford is partially responsible for how many games the Lions won, as is Kirk Cousins, the Vikings. So even if Kirk Cousins only threw one interception all year, he's still partially responsible for the Vikings win total, which is partially why I don't think Minnesota has their franchise quarterback, and why Chicago could, because there's obviously a lot more room for Justin Fields to develop as opposed to Kirk Cousins. That doesn't take a genius to tell you that. So, moving on to the head coach, this was this was the interesting one. Matt Eberflus came from Indianapolis. He was the defensive coordinator. He's fifty-one years old, and he's never been a head coach, and he's never called an offensive play. So, where this gets complicated it's because Chicago also hired a new offensive coordinator, Luke Getze, to call plays, who also has never called a play before. He was the passing game coordinator in Green Bay before going to Chicago. So not only does Chicago have a new general manager, Chicago has a new head coach. They have a new offensive coordinator. All new play callers, all people that have never called plays. Now, Matt Eberflus is called a defense. So the defense in Chicago could look better than what it did last season. The defense could look more improved. It could look more developed, right? I don't think that would be a hot take. I don't think that would be a controversial take because he did lead and call good defenses in Indianapolis when he was with Frank Reich. There were good things happening on the defensive side of the ball in Indianapolis, but I think in, I think Indianapolis actually had a top ten defense too, because Indian, Indianapolis two seasons ago had a really nice defense that flew way under the way under the radar. The Darius Leonard, fantastic player, fantastic player. And I think last season they were eleventh maybe overall defense, fifth fifth um, top five in rush defense maybe two I believe. They had Indianapolis has had some really under the radar good defenses, so I don't necessarily mind that higher just based on the fact that it's a strong defensive-minded coach, because obviously offense wins games, defense ends championships. We've heard that. But where I get confused is you're trying to develop Justin Fields into your franchise quarterback of the next decade, decade and a half. Hopefully. This new brand of quarterback, this new brand of running quarterback with a strong arm, laser beam, that can put the ball in places where other quarterbacks can't, right? Justin Fields is supposed to be this dual threat, not necessarily Kyler Murray in terms of how elusive he is, but teams are supposed to fear Justin Fields' arm in the exact same way that they're supposed to fear Justin Fields' legs. That's kind of what Chicago is going for. They want a dual threat quarterback. When you bring in a defensive head coach that who's never called an offensive play, who's never called plays overall, that confuses me when you're trying to develop a quarterback. Then you bring in offensive coordinator to call plays for the offense. Okay, who do you bring in? What experienced man do you bring in? Oh, you bring in Luke Getzey who's never called an offensive play. Was he a passing game coordinator in Green Bay? Yes. Did he work with Aaron Rodgers? Yes. But he's never called a play. And he didn't develop Aaron Rodgers. So my confusion stems from the idea that you're trying to develop Justin Fields. You're trying to make him your man. You're trying to use him as the guy that can take you to the NFC Championship, take you to the playoffs, take you to Division Crown. You're trying to use this man as your quarterback to get you to a place where you haven't been in a while, since the Jay Cutler years. You're trying to get back to that point, and you bring in a great, great scouter for the Chiefs, from the Chiefs. You bring him in. Great decision. But then you bring in a defensive coach, and I get it. Matt Nagy was supposed to be this offensive genius. It didn't work out. Okay, you might be scared to go back to hiring a guy on the offensive side of the ball. But think about the head coaches in the NFL that have revolutionized quarterbacks, that have revolutionized offenses and created juggernauts. We'll call it a juggernaut. Arizona, offensive juggernaut until the second half of the season comes around. Kyler Murray, developed under Cliff Kingsbury. Kyle Shanahan, offensive guy. Sean McVeigh, offensive guy. All young offensive minds. Shanahan, McVay, offensive guy. Kingsbury. All three of these guys. These are basically what you would consider the cream of the crop for NFL head coaches. And, and, um, LaFleur as well. Right? All young, offensive minded stars in the NFL. Kingsbury is a little bit more complicated. But Shanahan, McVeigh, and LaFleur. All of them, these are all star head coaches and they're all young offensive minds trying to develop young quarterbacks, young mobile dual threat quarterbacks, except for LaFleur who has Aaron Rodgers. But eventually it's going to be Jordan Love, which that could be a little complicated also. And I hope it is because I do not need another dynasty quarterback in Green Bay. I don't need it. I don't think it'll happen with Jordan Love. Just cheers to hoping that it doesn't. But... All these, all these coaches that have developed these young dual-threat quarterbacks into playoff-caliber quarterbacks, they're all young, they're all offensive-minded, they're all in their 30s or 40s. In Chicago, instead of following that precedence, following that standard set, decided to hire a 51-year-old defensive coach that's never called an offensive play in his life, and then to support your quarterback, you call in a passing game coordinator from Green Bay who's never called an offensive play in his life. That doesn't make sense. That's where it gets confusing, and that's where it leads you to think, how are you helping Justin Fields here? Or how much faith do you even have in Justin Fields to be your quarterback? That's the point that I make. That's what confuses me about what Chicago's doing. But hey, I'm a Lions fan. Fine by me. Hire all the defensive guys. Don't put any don't put any investments in your quarterback. Don't try and make your quarterback better. Why would you do that? It's not like he's the most important player on your team. None of the Vikings. Well actually, you know what? We're we're gonna take a just, just a quick step back, so I wanna I wanna bring everything into scope as to what the Bears have done. New defensive coordinator, new offensive coordinator, new coach, new general manager, new special teams coordinator. Everything got blown up in Chicago. Everything did. It's going to take a season, at least minimum, for Chicago to figure everything out. Figure out if they're even going to be good next season, if they're going to compete. And that's if if everything goes well. Because Fields still has a year to develop, and, and it doesn't even look like he's getting help. doesn't even look like Chicago's putting coaching resources around him at this point. Yeah, passing game coordinator in Green Bay is going to be the offensive coordinator. Okay, he was working with Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur. Come on. Come on. Now on to the Vikings. Okay, this one's tough for me because I'm around Viking fans. Generally, I like Viking fans. But Minnesota's in a very, very interesting spot. Because... They're $16 million over the cap. They're about to pay their quarterback, Kirk Cousins, $40 million. $40 million to Kirk Cousins. Think about that. I'm a Michigan State fan, so I like Kirk Cousins. If if I wasn't in church as a child, you know, if I wasn't in church, I would have probably been at the church of Kirk Cousins. I would have created a church for Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins was my idol, my hero as a young kid watching growing up with Michigan State football. Kirk Cousins was my hero. Saw him playing the Big Ten Championship shootout against Wisconsin. My hero. My hero. Forty million dollars this guy. Not worth it. Not worth it. And you're stuck with it. You just gotta play it out. You gotta do what the Lions are gonna do with golf. You just gotta ride it out. You're not gonna draft a quarterback. You better not you better not draft a quarterback. I'll tell you that much. Sixteen million over the cap limit. You hire Kevin O'Connell Rams offensive coordinator last two seasons, 36 years old. That would have been the perfect hire for Chicago. But Chicago said, nah, we're going to go defense and driving an offensive mind. (laughs) And then watching that fail. See, Chicago said, oh yeah, we had an offensive head coach and that failed. So we're going to switch it up and go defense and not even give our quarterback a chance to develop under our offensive minded head coach. Or offensive minded offensive coordinator who hasn't called a play in his life. So at least the Vikings said, hey. Let's get an offensive guy in here. Let's follow the blueprint set before us by teams like San Francisco, by teams like Arizona, by teams like the Rams, by teams like Green Bay. But the Vikings took it a step further and actually hired somebody from one of those staffs. Hired L.A. Rams offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell. 36 years old. Young offensive mind, Led L.A. To the Super Bowl, him and McVeigh. McVeigh is the genius behind it. But Kevin O'Connell is learning under McVeigh. McVeigh is teaching McConnell or O'Connell. So the thing that happens now is the Sean McVeigh coaching tree can start to expand a little bit, the way you're starting to see the Sean Payton coaching tree expand. So it's going to be very curious to see how much of it actually got passed down to O'Connell. How much O'Connell was able to learn the last two seasons with McVay and with the Rams. And I think Minnesota is going to be pleasantly surprised. Because Minnesota's offense was boring. So boring to watch. In the games of Minnesota that I watched, the two against the Lions, and then a couple just other random games. I watched the season opener against the Bengals, actually. That was a fun game. But I think when you have guys, a guy specifically, like Justin Jefferson, You need a coach like Kevin O'Connell to get the best out of him. To design plays specifically for Justin Jefferson. The way that McVeigh designed things for Odell. The way that McVeigh designed things for Stafford and Cup, And the way Stafford was able to execute. Now if you can get a quarterback that isn't Kirk Cousins into Minnesota. And Kevin O'Connell can just let him loose. And let him and Jefferson create this duo. I think Minnesota can be scary. But the issue is is it takes time. It all takes time. It always does and it always will when you bring in a new coach and you bring in a new GM like like what we're going to talk about in a second. It all takes time and especially when you need a new quarterback like this because you either get it in free agency or you get it through the draft. But either way you still have to pay Kirk Cousins because you cannot take that buyout. You cannot afford to take that buyout when you're already $16 million bucks over the cap. You just can't do it. So that's when it gets complicated because you see and you have to analyze what O'Connell can do for your team while he's in town with a quarterback that he should have no intention of keeping, at least in my opinion. There are cousin Vikings sympathizers out there. Make your case. But just looking at it, based on who O'Connell has had to work with, who, who O'Connell has learned from, and the weapons that O'Connell had in L.A., it would make sense that he would do his best to replicate what McVeigh created in L.A. Because it's what he knows. So he's going to want speed on the outside. He's going to want route runners on the inside, separation guys on the inside in the slot. He's going to want big-bodied, fast, tight ends. He's going to want to spread things out everywhere. He's not going to want to run smash-mouth football with Dalvin Cook, the way the Vikings did last season. Now, Dalvin Cook's been injury bro. Kevin O'Connell is going to create something new in Minnesota. And I think it can work, but it's going to take time. And I'm fine. Let it take all the time. I'm good. Vikings and Bears can be bad for the next two seasons. Then it can be up to the Lions and whether or not Green Bay decides to keep Aaron Rodgers. Goodbye me. But I think Minnesota can really... I think Minnesota fans are going to have to deal with what Lion fans dealt with this year. I think if you can just deal with being bad. I think Minnesota should just completely tank. And I know they won't because they'll have Kirk Cousins as the quarterback. and There's no chance... That quasi you and know, O'Connell coming town to town and just sit Cousins all season and pay him 40 mil. But I think if Minnesota can win five games next year, I think if Minnesota can go 5-12, and 12, get a top 10 pick, draft a quarterback next season, or get an acquisition in free agency if they can free up a little bit more cap after getting rid of Cousins' awful contract, I think if you can get that. If Kevin O'Connell can establish himself, if Kevin O'Connell can create and give hints to what he wants this team to look like, similar to the way Dan Campbell did it in Detroit, similar to the way that, um, Kingsbury did it in his first season in Arizona. I think Minnesota can really start to look beyond the mediocrity. I think there's a chance for it to work, but if it's really, really, really going to work beyond the medioc- mediocrity that you've been in for the last five years. It's going to take time. It's going to take a bad season this season. It's going to take resources acquired through the course of a bad season. It's going to take draft picks. It's going to take freeing up cap space. It's going to take, it's going to cause cutting guys. It's going to mean releasing Anthony Barr. You're going to have to let go of guys that you didn't want to let go of. It started with the Lions of Stafford. It started with the Lions and Gallaudet. It Even Marvin Jones. It's going to be painful. It will be. But it can work. The blueprint is there for it to work because of O'Connell and because of Quasey. There's, there's a chance for it to happen. But for it to happen, you're going to have to go through hell. You're going to have to go through hell next season the way I did this season. But it's there. The opportunity is there, but you're going to need a quarterback. You're going to need a quarterback that O'Connell can work around and develop into who O'Connell wants him to be. You're going to need a young quarterback, a very young quarterback, whether it be right out of college, a young free agent, somebody. I would make the play for Deshaun Watson, but that's incredibly risky. The next thing I want to get into is Kweisi. So Kweisi Adolfo Mensah. A very interesting hire. I think an incredibly smart hire too. Vice president of football operations for Cleveland the last two years. Here's the complicated part. Ivy League. Okay. Now, overall, I get it. Oh my gosh. He's an Ivy League person. Automatically smart. Automatically knows what he's doing. Automatically going to be this great general manager. And I get it. I get the hype. But when I see Ivy League, I get terrified because I get flashbacks of my head coach, a rocket scientist by the name of Matt Patricia that came from Ivy League that claimed to know everything, where in reality, he was never the smartest guy in the room. He probably wasn't even the top three smartest guys in the room at any given time in any meeting for the Lions. Matt Patricia was a terrible head coach that always claimed to be the smartest guy in the room. Now, I don't get that mentality from Kweisi, but whenever I see that Ivy League stamp there, there's always an ego that comes with the Ivy League. And I get it. Kwasi deserves the ego. He built everything that he has. He started from the bottom, worked, worked his way all the way up here. He wasn't given any special favors. He worked where he's got. And, and Kwasi deserves to have every ounce of ego that he does. I just get nervous when I see it. I just get nervous when I see the Ivy League education there. Because I've, I've watched it translate. I've watched the ego in the smarm, in the narcissism, get to a head coach. I've seen what it looks like on the sideline. I get that Quasi's a GM, not a coach. But I've seen it in the position of power. I've seen an ego in the feeling that you're smarter than everyone else. I've seen it engulf a franchise in flames. I've seen a franchise. I've seen that person inherit a franchise ready to push for the playoffs. Ready to win 10 games. Ready to go from mediocre to good. I've seen that type of coach. I've seen that type of leader take control of a franchise. I watched him bury it into flames. I've seen him drench it in oil, light a match, dig a hole, put the body in there, burn it, and run away. That's what I've seen happen with my franchise. And that same type of ego that comes with an Ivy League education. I don't want to make that like this all Ivy League people are bad in the NFL. I just have this scary past with Ivy League leaders in the NFL with my franchise. And it could work out. I think it will. Because I think Kwesi Adolfa Mensa is completely different than Matt Patricia. In almost literally every way. <laughs> Every way imaginable. They're completely different. Here's what I like about Quasey. He worked on Wall Street. He's a businessman. He's not into the blind loyalty of football. He's not into this, everything has to go a certain way and be done a certain way. He's not a traditionalist. He worked on Wall Street. He's a businessman. He's going to conduct football business the way it was meant to be conducted. And he's young. He worked all the way up from nothing to where he is now as a young 40-year-old man. Young. Notice, all the people that I like on this list, are all young. They all worked their way up from nothing. They weren't gifted anything like our stupid owners. They worked. They started with nothing. They worked all the way up to where they are now. Ivy League education worked on Wall Street Business savvy business smart and football smart working as a vice president of football operations for Cleveland the last two years in years where Cleveland had been better than they had in decades past, just Baker Mayfield, his entire body collapsed. Cleveland was disappointing, but Cleveland over the last two seasons was a team I mean Cleveland won a playoff game, not this season but the season before, right so there was there was hope, and there was reason. For Kwesi to take a lot of credit for what happened in Cleveland during their great resurgence. So Kwesi has clearly proven himself throughout his work in Cleveland. So, I like everything that Minnesota is doing more than what Chicago is doing. But the unfortunate part is, is Minnesota is just a year behind because of the cap. Because they don't have a franchise quarterback. Not a franchise quarterback I think they can work around. So it's weird. Because Chicago is the team more primed to have a quicker turnaround. But Minnesota made all the better hires, in my opinion. I think Quacy, Quasey and Ryan Poles can be, be I think they can be tied, to be honest. I don't think they I don't think either team went wrong with the general manager. But the coach, so smart by Minnesota. A great I mean it was right there. Home run out of the park. Very well done by Minnesota. And Chicago's trying to be smart. Trying to go offense coach the defense coach, but then bring in an offensive coordinator who's never called a play, nor really developed the quarterback because he's working with Rodgers, because Getsy was working with Rodgers. So that's why it's so confusing, and it's almost beautiful for me, because now based on the hires and then the situation of the cap and the quarterback for the Vikings, each team looks to be at least two years away from doing anything, which is great, because now if Green Bay blows everything up and gets rid of their quarterback, oh my gosh. Look who wins the division next year. Eight and nine division champs next year, Detroit Lions. That's all. You don't need to win 12 games. Eight wins gets the division next year if Rogers leaves town. Because the Bears won't do it. The Vikings will win six, probably. So they always have a weird way of doing that. All right. so now, now the Vikings bring in Ed Donatel, defensive coordinator, came from Denver. I'm not going to get deep into this, but that's just kind of the last big hire that the Vikings did brought in the defensive coordinator from Denver. He's an older guy, 65 years old, but Denver had nice defenses. Denver Denver created a defensive roster where all Denver needs now is quarterback, right? And, and Ed Donatel ran a nice defense in Denver, right? D- Denver was incredibly boring to watch, which is a testament to how good of a defense they had, right? And how bad of an offense they had as well. Because Denver games, people weren't scoring that much on Denver, but Denver was also not scoring. So it was just like, Oh, you want to take a nap? Okay. Turn on Broncos football. Cool. Then you go to bed. All right. So I guess it's a testament to what Donatelle did at Denver with the defense. So that's, that's it for, that's it for coaches. That's my NFC North coaching roundup fun time. And that's why I also think the Lions have a genuine chance to win the division next year. Because I think just based on everything that these two teams are doing, I don't see how either of them win more than nine games the next two seasons, not combined. I'm saying I don't see the Vikings winning nine games this season or next season. I don't see the Bears doing it this season or next season either. I see the Vikings getting four this season. I actually, you know what, I see the Vikings getting six this season. I actually see them getting worse this season after because they'll bring in a new quarterback. And then in three seasons, that's when I see the Vikings. So it's going to be tough for the Vikings. Same with the Vikings and Lions are going to go through the same thing. It's almost it's almost scary how similar I think it's gonna look. And then the Bears. Bears probably win five games next season. And then I think they can get seven or eight season after. So each of these teams, it'll be it'll be year three of both of the regimes. And that's that's usually that's usually the time frame, right? Year one, establish everything new. Year two, see how it develops. And then year three is when you make your run, right? Lions are going into year two, Vikings are going into year one, Chicago's going into year one. And then Green Bay is just incredibly confused. So that's kind of, that's, that's a look at, that's a look at the NFC North head coaches, how I think it kind of ties everything together, how I think each team can look, what I think about the head coaching and the general manager, and literally every team just breaking it all down. Seriously, going pretty much full rebuild. So, and that, that's why I don't like hearing Viking embarrassments. Oh, we could do this this year. We could do this. We could s- steal a couple wins. We could do this. We could do that. No, you want to know why? Because I just saw it happen. And I get it. Oh, well, we're not the Lions. We're not. We haven't been terrible the last 70 years. Okay. You're doing the exact same thing that we're doing. You're going to lose a lot of games. You're going to win a couple. But you aren't going to make this wild, wild card run. You're not going to make this miracle run to eight wins. You are going to win six to seven games. Tops. And that's if you're the Vikings just because you have Kirk Cousins. The Bears are going to win six hops. I would be shocked if the Bears win more than six games. Just because the only reason I see the Bears getting the six wins is because Fields has actually played in the NFL. Fields kind of knows what to expect a little bit. But oh my gosh, for the people out there that are going, oh, the Bears could look good next year. Oh, the Vikings could look good. Could they look redeemable? Maybe. But the Vikings, if they really want to get out of mediocrity, they're going to need to shut it all down and they're going to need a full rebuild. That's how they're going to do it. And I think Quasey is the guy that really has the guts because it's business. Because Quasi understands the highs and lows of business, right? Buy low, sell high. Quasey understands how this works. So I think Quasey would be the guy that could say, look, we need to destroy all of this now. Because I don't want to sit here and just stay in mediocrity. I want to be the best. I want to skyrocket this franchise. And in order to skyrocket, we're going to need to take a couple steps back first. And I think Minnesota should be okay with that. And it's going to be tough because as a Lion fan, I remember the mediocrity. I remember the hope of playing meaningful games in November and December. It was great and then being terrible. It's tough. It's not easy. But that light when that light at the end of the tunnel is a lot brighter than just the, the muddy murkiness of mediocrity, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it after next season when you only win five games, five or six games. It'll be worth it. You just got to trust me on that. And the last thing I'm going to mention about quasi and I don't usually play this card, but I think it's incredibly important that Minnesota hired a minority coach or general manager. Now, it ended up being the general manager. It's so important for a player base, for a locker room, to get behind who they have as a head coach or as a general manager. It's incredibly important for your players to buy into the message that the general manager and the coach sell to you, that they present. And when you bring in a minority general manager that started from nothing and worked his way all the way up to where he is now, through grit, through not sleeping, through doing everything that he can just to get a shot. Players respect that. Players see elements of themselves in Quasey. And I think that's incredibly important for Minnesota players and for the fan base. Because when you have a GM who you can buy into because of who they are as a person and how they got to where they are, And the business mentality that they have, it can kickstart things. It can create a culture. That's where you win games that you feel like you don't deserve to win. That you feel like you don't have business winning. Because you bought into something. You will win games against better teams that aren't buying in to what their superiors are selling. So that's why I like that's why I like what Minnesota did hiring wise. But if Minnesota wants to get out of eight, nine, nine, and eight seasons every year, they gotta tear it down. They gotta tear it all down. They gotta restart. And they gotta they gotta say, you know what? Next year, well, this year is gonna be bad. Next year is gonna be worse, but then the year after is when it can start to look up a little bit. So that's what that's what Minnesota's gonna have to do. Easier said than done. Next thing. This is not something that I would expect to talk about, to be completely honest, because honestly, I never really envisioned myself having to do a topic like this, but I'm going to make, I'm going to make this fast because one, I just, again, never envisioned myself talking about this, but again, news develops and things go crazy. Russia is playing risk, but in real life and sports wise news came out about this. So Russian players are receiving extra security at NHL games because of threats being made. And all you geniuses out there saying stuff to the Russian NHL players, stop drinking. Stop consuming alcohol. Because it's not the players that are invading Ukraine. It's the government. Hopefully I don't go missing. It's the government. Besides, if I if I go missing in the next three days, it was Russia. It's not the players that are speaking out against are speaking out in favor of what Russia is doing in Ukraine. It's not the players flying the planes, bombing Ukraine. The players are just Russian hockey players doing what they're good at. So stop threatening them. Stop doing all these stupid things. Because it's not the Russian players that are out here invading Ukraine. Just be careful. Don't be idiots. Don't give these Russian players reasons to hate you because in the end they're all humans they're all doing what they're good at they're all showing their passion for hockey and their passion for their country by speaking out against their country and what their country is doing they see wrongdoings and so just expand your mind a little bit expand your horizon beyond the simple oh Russian bad please just stop next the IIHF bans hockey and or bans hockey bans bans russia and belarus from international hockey competitions they pulled the 2023 world junior championship out of russia so the international ice hockey federation decided look we do not condone what russia is doing and as a world Organization as a world federation we're going to make it known that we don't like what russia's doing, and I think they smartly said no, enough of this we're going to do our part to stop what to do our best to stop what's happening and to and to put people on notice so i like I like what the IHF did, and then FIFA and the UEFA suspended Russia from international soccer. oh my god, i'm talking soccer <sighs> what is happening both club. And national teams from Russia. UAFA, for those of you who don't know, Union of European Football Soccer, Football Soccer Associations. So the UFA is essentially the governing body of soccer in Europe. That's who they are. So the UEFA would be like, you know, the NFL, if the NFL was part of Canada and Mexico, and they would just govern everything in terms of how football would work and Mexico and the US and Canada. So FIFA, UEFA, IAHF, all saying no, all saying no to Russia. I think that's a good thing. I think it's very important that these organizations do it, world organizations. I don't need to explain what FIFA is, but, you know, IAHF, International Ice Hockey Federation, and then the UEFA, Union of European Football Associations, they're doing all these things. To try and better what's happening. To try and end what's happening. And in the end, it won't do anything because it's the Russian military. You know, it's not the players that are doing this. And here's, this is where it gets complicated. And this is where the discussion truly goes both ways because the IHF, FIFA, and UEFA are all doing this to try and send a message to Russia. Unfortunately, it comes at the cost of the players who have nothing to do with what's happening. So, I feel like there should be some sort of clause for the players that they could still compete. But I just don't have a solution because I've never seen anything like this. But there has to be a way for these organizations to punish Russia without punishing the players. Because the players don't deserve to be stopped from doing what they love because of something that their country's government is doing, something that they have. Zero pardon. That they've, that they're not taking place at all. The Russian tennis player wins the match, walks up to the camera, writes in Sharpie, please no war. Or no war please. You know, an anti-war thing put on the camera. Right? R- writes it right on the TV camera. Russian. I really hope he's alive still and hasn't gone missing. Like, seriously. Because there's some wild stuff that happens. But I just, I need For there to be a way, because as a former athlete, if something my country was doing that I had no part in resulted in me not being able to compete in my sport, doing what I love, I would have a huge issue with that. And I, I understand that these athletes want to do what they want to do. They want to go out and do their passion. They want to go out and do what they're best at, what they've worked decades of their lives to accomplish. And when it gets taken away from them by something that they can't control, something that their country does, something that they don't even support, it's crazy. It's unfortunate. So I just wish that there were a way for Russia to be punished without the players to be punished. But again, it's a symbiotic relationship between the players and the country. What happens to the country affects the players. What happens to the players affects the country. And it's just, it's just the unfortunate circumstance. That's all it is. And, and it's tough. It's not easy to watch because you feel for the athletes and you feel for their families because the families now get punished. It's all interconnected. It's all interconnected. What affects you affects the other. It's like it's like what what Obi-Wan talks about. That's kind of actually kind of where I'm drawing from. It's such a stupid comparison. But in The Phantom Menace of Star Wars, and Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon Jinn are trying to get the Gungans to help the normal humans of Naboo. It's two separate species that live with each other on Naboo. And Obi-Wan's like what happens to one affects the other. You must understand that. And that's what's happening with the IAHF, with FIFA, and the UEFA. What's happening in Russia is affecting the players, and what's affecting the players is affecting Russia, right? So right now, obviously, it's what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. What Russia is doing is affecting the players. If there were a way to separate that, you have to find it. But unfortunately, as I said, it's a symbiotic relationship. So there's no way to pull the two apart. You can't, Separate what's happening in Russia from the players because they're linked. You can't just take these Russian players, say, oh, you're German now, and send them to Germany. I wish you could, or or at least for a national team. You can't do that. But maybe there, if there were a way where the players could still compete locally, not in Russia, join another club. I don't know how soccer works. Don't ask. But if there are a way for these players to still be able to do what they love without being punished for the unimaginable sense of ego and just, I don't even want to try and explain what Putin's doing. Out of my pay grade, I do this for free. But if you could take away the players from what Russia is doing, from the mindlessness that is what Russia is doing right now in Ukraine, you have to. You have to create a way for these players to still be able to compete, do what they love, and get paid to support their families and not be punished for something that they literally have zero part in at all. That's my speech. That's my speech about that. Tough basketball game for the green and white last night, huh? Jeez, what a performance. (laughs) Next week, more college basketball, more coaching stuff. We'll see what other news breaks. That's what I got. Enjoy your week, everyone. Have a safe weekend. Do everything you need to do. Don't fly into Ukraine. Russia, please stop what you're doing. Michigan State, please figure it out and get a higher than a seven seed so we're not playing somebody good from a group of five conference in the tournament. Beat Ohio State, please. Thank you. See ya. Son, you don't have help. The reason that bad things happen to you is because you're a dumbass.